So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share just a few thoughts. I don't really have a title, but I'm going to share. This is just something I um, came across when I was reading through my Bible the other day. It's in Mark 7. We're going to read the first few verses, 1 through 5. Mark 7, 1 through 5. Some of the things I've been thinking about. Um, kind of an interesting topic here. And so I know that this, there's, there's a lot in this, in this um, chapter and so I'm barely going to scratch the surface. I'm not going to get real deep into it. I'm not a deep theologian. There are deep theologians here, so please uh, give me a pass tonight. But I'm going to do my best to kind of, kind of get across a point tonight, kind of a, a real simple point here. So we're going to read the first, uh, the first five verses. And it says, uh, Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and the Jews, except they wash their hands often, eat not, holding the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash their hands, they eat not. And many other things there be which they have received to hold, as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes ask him, Why walk not your disciples according to the traditions of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? So what I'm going to talk about a little bit tonight is I'm going to try to try to get a point here across is what Jesus was talking about. And so Jesus had came in um, and he had gathered a crowd here, which he always had gathered a crowd. You know, whatever Jesus had done at this point, he'd gathered a crowd. Crowd just came around. You read in, in, in the chapter, the latter chapter four, the chapter six and 55 and 56, it talks about all the crowds and all the people that Jesus had healed. So Jesus had healed quite a bit of people. He'd, he'd done a lot of things. And, and the book of Mark, the, the whole gospel of Mark is just a gospel of action, I've heard it called. There's a lot of action going on, a lot of things going on. Mark captures a lot of action. And so the Jewish leaders seen this. And so it says here in the first verse here, it says that the Pharisees and the scribes came to him. So they, they came to Jesus. And, and why, why had they come to Jesus? Because he'd been doing He'd been doing great things, so they were concerned. And so he's, they seen his disciples, and so, so right off the bat, he's, he's not finding favor with the Pharisees and with the scribes, with the Jewish leaders of that time. He's not, he didn't find favor with them. His disciples didn't find favor with them. And the reason was, was because Jesus was changing. He was turning upside down the whole, whole Jewish culture. The way things that were being done, he was just turning it all upside down. He was messing things up real bad for these Jewish leaders. And so they weren't real happy with him at this time. And, and they weren't real happy with change. Who's, who likes change? I'll, I'll be the first to say that I'm not, I'm not big on change. We did, a, we did a leadership meeting here a couple, a couple months ago. And we found out that half the church doesn't like change. And so change is not, is not a good thing. And so that's what these Jewish leaders were saying here. They didn't want change. They didn't want Jesus to come in and, and change it. So they didn't find favor. And so what did they do? They looked for something. They looked for fault. And so they, they started looking at what, what can we fault him? So they didn't, they didn't actually go after Jesus. They went after his disciples, his followers. Because they knew that, that they couldn't defend themselves. He knew that, that they wouldn't, these, were not, these were not very educated men. These were fishermen. These were tax collectors. These were not very educated men. They didn't go directly towards Jesus. They went for his disciples to try to find fault. And what did they find? They didn't wash their hands. Really? 
That's, that's all they found, was that they didn't wash their hands. Now, I'll be the first, you know, my wife will tell you I'm a germaphobe. I'm not really. I'm not really a germaphobe. After having six kids, um, you kind of get over it. Um, so I'm not really a germaphobe. So, so, but to me, you know, and, and, but sometimes though, I'm in the bathroom and washing my hands and I see people just kind of walking right out to the door and I just want to, you know, catch them and hand them a ticket or something and say, no, no, that's, no, that's a violation. Come back here, wash your hands because that's, that's not good. You know, that's not good. And so when we look at some of these things, and so the Jewish leader, but this was a tradition. This wasn't really law. And so I've been reading through Leviticus too as part of my Bible reading. Leviticus is a page turner, I'll tell you what. That's a definite page turner. That's a joke. I'm sorry if you didn't catch that. But if you've ever read through Leviticus, it's, it's boring. Yes. <laughs> but so um, I was reading through Leviticus, and, and there, there's a lot, of, a lot of points there where it says to cleanse and wash your hands. Or not, and it's cleanse and wash yourself. Cleanse your clothes. Wash yourself. And so there was, there was a good importance to it. Uh, from a hygiene standpoint. And so God had kind of, kind of put that in there, but the Jewish leaders of this time had taken that and kind of twisted that. And when I really got to studying this passage, you know, you know why? And when I talk to my young people, I, I ask a lot of questions, and a lot of times they don't answer, but you know why they, they accused the disciples of not washing their hands? I found this really interesting. Does anybody know why? Because they believed that if you didn't wash your hands before you eat, that you, would, you had demons on your hands and you would ingest demons and it would come into your body. And so that's, that's I found that really interesting. And so that, it talks about in the latter part of this chapter, and he, he gets into that, and I'm not going to get into all that because, like, like I said, there's a lot of depth here to this chapter. But so, so they found fault with, with the disciples. They went after the disciples, trying to find fault, trying to find something, and that, that was all they came up with, Okay? Give me a second here. And so, um, I found this pretty interesting, though, okay? So, let, let me read, read 6 through 9 here, and I'm going to read this real quick. Jeremy, if you can th- post it up there. And he says, And he answered and said unto them, Well has Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching from the doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandments of God, you hold the traditions of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things that you do. And he said unto them, For well you reject the commandments of God that you may keep your own traditions. Okay, so we, I'm not going to dig into deep here, but I want, I want to stop here and I want, I want you to... What, what just happened here? Okay, so the Jewish leaders gathered together. Okay, they came and gathered together, okay? They had an intent why they gathered together. Okay, they, they intended to, to cast fault on the disciples. Okay? Everybody get that? Okay. Who, now, now, who is the first to speak up here? Did the disciples speak up? No. Jesus spoke up for them. Jesus spoke up for these disciples. He didn't let this this go by. He defended them. 
He stood up for them and defended them. They were trying to falsely accuse him. They were trying to, trying to, trying to push him down. They were trying to go against him, trying to, trying to discourage him. And Jesus turns around and he defends them immediately. The disciples didn't even say a word. He defended them. And so kind of the point that I'm getting, getting want, want to leave with you here tonight is that you're not alone. Is that when they came against trial, now this was not a huge trial, but this still was a trial. If you're, if you're an unlearned fisherman and some of the, the Jewish leaders come to you and come against you and start accusing you of things, do you have much defense? Probably not. But they had Jesus with them because they weren't alone. When they came against this situation, they weren't alone. And Jesus was right there with them. And see, church, there are things that we go through in life. And as young people, it's hard. I've been there. The older I get, the farther away it seems like it was. But I was there a long time ago. But it's hard. It is hard being a young person. But the thing you got to understand is that we're not doing this alone. Is that we're not alone. Is that we are a child of God. And that if we are his children, that we are not alone. That he's with us. He goes with us. And sometimes it doesn't seem like, like Jesus is not always physically there. But some of the hard times we go through life, some of the hard times we deal with in life, if we really look back, because I've looked back, I've, I've had a hard year and a half. I've had a hard year and a half. It's been rough. And I look back over that year and a half. It was rough. But I didn't go alone. I didn't walk that path alone. And sometimes you just got to change your perspective. And change the way you look at things and realize that you're not always alone. Is that God walks with you. Christ is there with you. And he defends you. So that's the point I wanted to leave with you tonight. Is that you're not alone young people. You can make it. I'm going to turn over here just a minute to Ronnie. But we're in a race. Okay. Paul said we're in a race. Okay. And sometimes when we get in this race. Sometimes we're at the first of the pack. Sometimes we're up front and we're doing really well. And then we start going through that hard time. We start lagging back. Doesn't mean, we're, doesn't mean we're not a Christian. Doesn't mean we're not saved. We just start having hard times. But we, lag, we start lagging back. But the thing is, you start getting to the back of the pack. He's there too. Because it says he's the first and he's the last. And so young people, it's hard. I get it. But you can make it. And he will defend you. Praise the Lord. I'm going to turn it over to you, Ronnie. You're awesome, man. You're awesome. Come on, give him a hand, guys. You know, I like uh, hearing David speak. He... Uh, speaks, uh, I, I, we have two different kind of styles of speaking. He will take a, a scripture and unpack a thought from it. 
I like to take, I like to do more topical speaking where I take, where the Lord gives me a, a topic and I will build scripture around it to support my topic. And so I always love having that little different dynamic with, with David. And uh, so it's good. Give him a hand one more time, guys. He did a great job. All right, let's see if we can make it happen in 15 minutes. Amen. Um, I, it seems as though that throughout the recent past, generations of kids and teenagers have been looked down upon by their predecessors and the following generations. How many would agree with that? Kids are often stereotyped in with the era and the majority of those who they were born in that same era, who were born in that same era. Would you agree with that? You have the, you have, there's, there's six generations that are still said to be alive on earth today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about four of them real quick, okay? I'm going to talk about the mature and the silent generation. They were born from 1927 to 1945. This generation grew up being uh, seen and not heard by their parents. They're often viewed as workaholics, and it is said that rather than engaging in politics and government, the generation simply stayed silent and lived through it, hence the name the silent generation, the, there was the baby boomers. How many is a baby boomer in the room? There was, a, there was the baby boomer generation. This generation grew up, uh, a, a simple Google search, it showed me, it said, it said, why are baby boomers the worst generation to live? The years are 1946 to 1964. The era is often viewed, viewed as self-righteous and self-centered. The protest era, the buy it on credit and pay it off later era. Now, this is Google. These are not my words. This, this is Google. So don't be offended with me. This is Google. You have Generation X, born from 1965 to 1980. They are the latchkey kids who often came home to an empty house after school. This generation is said to have very little respect for government and big business. Then you have the millennials. I am proudly a part of the millennial generation. Just the tail end of the millennial generation from 1981 to 1995. These people feel entitled because we were given too many participation trophies. This era is full of helicopter parents, as well as kids who don't want to leave the comfort and the luxury of their parents' home. But there's a generation that's near and dear to my heart. Generation Z is what Google is referring it to. It's 1995 to 2009, most recently coined as the Tide Pod generation because they have found a rather unconventional way of using the laundry pods. I never thought I would live long enough to see teenagers washing their own mouths out with soap. However, however, I am here as an advocate for our kids, amen, because here's the thing, I feel that God still has a plan for them. Are you with me tonight? God still has a plan for them. I'm going to call this little sermonette real quick, Defending a Generation. It's my opinion that our kids growing up today are some of the most misunderstood, misguided socially deprived that have ever lived on the earth. Would you agree with that? They're preceded by a generation that by and large, they don't believe in them. 
It doesn't see them for their potential. And sometimes they just downright don't care about this coming up generation. Would you agree with that? This generation is breeding destructive um, coping mechanisms for depression, for low self-esteem, for bullying, cutting and self-mutilation. Hear me out. Cutting and self-mutilation has become commonplace in our schools and in our homes. Suicide has, the, the rate of suicide has went up 24% since 1999, guys. Listen, they have pornography and other forms of pure evil just at, the, at their fingertips. Just at the disposal of their fingertips every single day. Listen, this generation gets their validation and a sense of self-worth from a like on Facebook or a comment on Instagram rather than getting their self-worth from their parents or their mentors. Amen? If we, as the generations who don't, who have gone before them, don't take the steps to be a good example to this generation, we're going to lose them. Do you understand? We're going to lose this generation. We need to take the steps to point them in the right direction, to encourage them to seek out God's will for their lives. Amen? Would you agree with that? Seek out God's will for their life and his plan. I promise you that if, this gener- if the generations preceding them do not do something quickly, then the generation that they are growing up in will be more than happy to be an influence on their lives. Amen? The generation, that the, the kids that they go to school with, the music that they listen to, the things they watch on TV, social media, I guarantee you that they will be the influence in your kid's life. Amen? How many would agree with me tonight? We can't forget about our kids. We can't forget to tell them that God has a plan for them. Amen? Youth groups, God has a plan for you. Some of you, I'm not telling you something you don't already know, but some of you struggle with that. Does God have a plan in my life? Is there a purpose for me? Amen? Let me tell you, I'm here to assure you today, I'm here to declare that God has a generation that he's rising up, that he has a purpose and a plan for, amen. Do you agree with that? It's not time, parents, to let your teenagers lay out a church. It's not time, you might say, Pastor Ronnie, you don't know what it's like to try to get my kids up for church on Sunday morning. You don't know what it's like when I go through at home to try to get the kids to church on Wednesday. You have no idea what it's like. You know what, though? I agree. I don't have kids, so I may not know exactly what it's like, but I was a rebellious teenager myself. And let me tell you what. My dad was in my room in the basement where I slept every Sunday morning, and he was pulling me out of bed and saying, you're going to go to church. I was unwilling most of the times to go to church, but you know what? He was there. He was there. He was pulling me out of bed to go to church on Sunday. He made sure that I was aware that as long as I was living at his home, then I was going to make church my home as well. Amen? Some of you would never believe this, but I spent the better part of eight years on a bar stool. Because how many know that just because you go to church doesn't mean you truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ? My parents drugged me to church, but I didn't really make a dedication of my life to Jesus Christ until I was like 24 years old. But my dad still drugged me every Sunday morning, no matter how, how defiant I was, no matter how much, how, what kind of excuses I gave him, he still brought me to church. 
There was not a single day when I was living away from God that I didn't feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit. You understand? Because he still sought after me. And if it wasn't for my parents that drug me to church, it says in Isaiah, Isaiah 55, it says, it says, it is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will always accomplish what I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. I promise you that his word never returns void. Every time your children sit in this service, every time your children come to youth, when they sit and listen to Pastor Josh, I guarantee you the word is, is just drilling into their heart. And whether it seems like they're getting it or not, I'll tell you what. I promise you, I'm a living example. I didn't live for the Lord in my teenage years, but you know what? I never, God never stopped prompting me and pulling me and pushing me and saying, I have a plan for you. I have a purpose. I'm going to use you. He never did. And you know what? Eventually, I mean, obviously, I'm standing in front of you right now, right? Because listen, I think about my parents. I think about my mom and dad, the way they raised me. If they hadn't raised me that way, I would be on my way to an, to an eternal hell to damnation. I'd be on my way. I may not even be standing here in front of you because I can think back of some pretty sketchy situations I got myself into and it's only by the grace of God that I'm standing here today. Amen? Don't give up on your teenagers, church. Listen, I owe my mom and my dad my life because of the way they raised me. Don't give up on your teenagers. A lot has changed since I've been here at Christ Point for six and a half years. I've been the youth pastor here when I first got here, Pastor Josh, you remember we met at Messenger College. We were in the, the, junior, the, the, uh, the youth were in the fireside room while the, while the church on Annie Baxter was getting repaired from the tornado. On Annie Baxter, our youth group, uh, when we got to Annie Baxter, our youth group outgrew the rooms that we were putting upstairs. And so there was a business that was gracious enough across the street to let us use their gymnasium on Wednesdays. So I'm so thankful for that. We moved to the gym and then we came here three years ago to Galena. Lots of, lots of things have changed over the last six and a half years. I've seen as, as few as three show up on a Wednesday night, and I've had as many regular attendees as 40-plus in youth group here since I've been youth pastor. A lot of things have changed, but let me tell you something. One thing has not changed, and that is my heart and passion for the next generation and for your kids. It's never changed. It will never change. God has brought me here and God has put a purpose in my heart and I'm going to continue to tell them and to, and, to, and to remind them that God has a purpose. My youth group, everyone's sitting there. God has a purpose for you. I'm living proof. You may not feel like God has something for you, but each and every one of you, God has a calling and a purpose for your life. For time's sake, you don't have to turn here. But I'm going to recite Acts chapter 2, 17 through 21. And it says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men, say it with me, young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on thy servants, men and women alike, and they will also prophesy, and I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. Here's what I feel like. What I feel like is we often fail. 
we often fail to let our kids know, or to, we often fail to realize that they are the closest generation to the last of the last days. Tell me that God's word's not true. They are the closest generation to the last of the last days. Amen? The words are still true. Listen, guys, the pages of this Bible are still as true for your students, for your kids, as they are for you and as they were for ancient Israel. Still just as true today. Amen? Would you agree with me today? Let's hear an amen. Amen? Their friends still need to be told about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The commandment still holds true for them to make disciples of all nations. Our kids are not too far gone, guys. They're not too far gone. Amen? They're still called to prophesy. They're still called to perform miracles. They're still called to preach the word. And they're still called to reach the lost. Let's not give up on them. Let's push them to pursue God's calling on their lives. Amen? Someone once told me, this stuck with me, and I, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. Someone once told me, he said, he, that he had the opportunity to be an RN, make great money and make a difference in the lives of people. He was praying about it one day, and he was asking for God's favor in his pursuit of his education and his steps that he had to take to be an R, a registered nurse. And he was praying, and God told him something that changed his life. He said, son... You'll, you can go and be an RN, and you can go and pursue that education, and you'll be blessed. But if you do what I have called you to do, I will bless you. How many know there's a difference between being blessed and being blessed by the everlasting God? Amen? Being blessed by the creator of the universe. How many know that there's a difference between just living a blessed life and then living the life that God has, has etched out for you from the beginning of time? Amen? Make sure your kids know. Make sure you tell them that you love them. Make sure you spend quality time with them. Make sure to limit the time that they have on phone and electronic devices and spend some quality time with your kids because I promise you if you're not willing to spend quality time with your kids, people you don't want spending quality time with your kids will spend time, will spend quality time with your kids, amen? Limit their time on their phones. Spend quality time with them. Invest in the next generation because they are going to pursue a purpose in something. God has a purpose for them, and it's our job to make sure that they're pursuing the things of God and nothing else. Amen? It's our job. The generations before them, it's our job to make sure that they know their purpose and their place in the kingdom of God. Amen? There's an age-old question, and I'll, I'll, I'll close with this. There's an age-old question that God asked to Isaiah and it's still very relevant today. It says in Isaiah 6, 8, Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? Let's encourage our kids to answer that question. Let's encourage our kids to be the mouthpiece of God. Let's encourage our kids to pursue whatever they feel that God is calling them in their heart. Amen.